This is Multinew Media. Hi, everyone. I'm Chase Raz, and this is Multinew Media. It's spring here in Florida, and that means it's hot. Okay, so it's not the 100-degree Fahrenheit sweltering torture that we're all eagerly awaiting in August and September and July and October now, thanks to global warming, but this is Florida's dry season. Those who say April showers bring May flowers apparently never lived in Florida. Joining me for this conversation is none other than Mr. Jedi Rebel himself, instructor, forecaster, and knower of all roller coasters, Christopher Woodward. Thanks for joining me in this Top 5 Theme Park Tech episode. You're welcome. And yeah, it is hot in Florida all the time. That's why it's Florida. So I so it's hot, it's dry, and that means even when you do get some cloud cover from partly cloudy skies, you simply bake instead of getting any relief. I had that happen to me just the other day. It's one you know that situation where you you get flushed, you're not it's a non sunburn sunburn, and you get flushed uh, yeah. and you you feel like you just want to clear the fridge out and sleep on a shelf. Uh, I need a big fridge for that, I guess. Could you? (laughs) Well, um, of course, it all sounds great, you have to admit. Sleeping on a refrigerator, feeling flushed, I know, I know. But the listener out there is asking, how can this possibly get any better? Well, here in Florida, we make heat into an endurance sport. Okay, we'll make anything into an endurance sport. Heat, traffic, alligators, methamphetamine, lightning, cockroaches, you know, standard Florida fare. We like to test our endurance and patience for whatever the swamp or sand pine scrub can throw at us. Of course, this I'm takes... Still kinda, I'm still kind of caught up on the whole fridge idea because it makes me think of that really bad Indiana Jones movie at the end when he was in the fridge and protected him from the nuclear blast. And So I'm equating the nuclear blast with summer in Florida now and just, or, just hiding in the fridge. Or maybe if you're a gamer, you're thinking of Fallout. But anyway, all of this takes us right back to theme parks. Have you ever been challenged... To pre-pack all necessities and live out of a mere backpack for an entire day? Sure, why not? It's called urban trekking, right? But in Florida, we do it big. We become intentional vagabonds at theme parks. Air-conditioned shows and fan-supplied roller coaster queues? Nope, not for you. You've got the outdoor walking attraction to tackle during our 5 p.m. hottest time of the day. Full sun, no clouds, rained an hour ago so it's also sweltering weather. Some of the best restaurants around and fastest access to food and on-the-go snacks? Nope, not for you. You you eat what you brought in your bag. Living as a wonder in the most middle-class and urbanite way. What's that? I hear one more question. What's that question that's coming through? You forgot painkiller, deodorant, dental floss? What a rookie mistake. All right, so let me wrap this up. Maybe you're not sold on this whole heat as an experience thing, but chances are you're still planning on hitting the theme parks and amusement parks here in Florida or elsewhere in the upcoming months. Let's you bring dental floss with you to the theme parks? I bring dental floss with me everywhere. But let's put our nomadic sun-struggling aside and talk about the technology we're going to see deployed in these parks by these parks. Christopher, let's start today's top five. That's probably a good idea at this point. <laughs> well, you don't want to move back into the refrigerator and feel flushed and do some urban trekking? I just can't believe you stuck methamphetamines in there, too. Uh, th- okay, that was a joke for South Florida. Way south. Um, <laughs> yeah, theme park technologies, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. You know, we, we've talked in the past about how, you know, theme parks, obviously Disney being top of the list, has kind of given us a peek into future technologies. Well, this time we're going to talk about the actual technologies in the parks themselves. 
I, it's it's got me ready to get my annual passes out and go do some more research. So um, am I going to kick off my list first or are you going to go first? Yeah, no, I'm going to have you start first. And I will say this. I did do a little bit more research than normal. Um, I, I reached out to a couple of the PR departments at uh, our local uh, theme parks and our local uh, chains of theme parks. And quite frankly, they're not necessarily really fast to get back with you on anything unless there's an emergency going on at the parks. So um, my information is going to be mostly scoured from the web and uh, the media assets that we'll put in the show notes or or as a part of the uh, image asset for the episode. It's not going to be all that fancy, I don't think, because, again, the PR department's kind of looked at us and we're like, okay, you're, you're tech people and why are you calling us? So... So we tried to get some official press release statements and advance screening previews of whatever, and they saw right through it and said no. Well, you know, they are a little secretive about what they do, but every once in a while, some ideas do slip out. So I'm going to kick off my list with probably, I guess arguably, the most important technology when it comes to theme parks in general and Disney in particular, that is the almighty animatronics. <laughs> the the ability to create robots. They were first on my list too and I took them off just because I wanted you to have it. I mean, obviously, when you go to Disney, you are looking at animatronics. You are looking at them on vintage classic attractions like the Carousel of Progress and the Hall of Presidents, but you're also seeing them on the newest of attractions, uh, their new Little Mermaid ride, things like that that they've introduced, the new Star Wars rides they're working on. Animatronics, fancy word for robots, um, obviously a big part of Disney. And I just found out recently, uh, a little side note for the Disney fans out there, if you go on Star Tours, uh, you'll notice a lot of animatronics in the queue areas that are basically robots that are very stripped down, very bare metal wires. You can see everything. I just recently found out that the original animatronic robots on Star Tours in the queue area, in the lineup area, were actually swans, singing swans from uh, Splash Mountain in the zip diddy doo da at the ending, huh. where they just took the swans and ripped off the coverings and just put the bare metal animatronic robots out there. So the, those were swans from, what was that, Splash Mountain? Yes, yeah, Splash Mountain huh. on the steamboat at the end. That's... They just ripped, they, they ripped the feathers <laughs> off them and just put the bare metal and wires out there and called them Star Wars robots. Now. Well, you know Star Wars is slightly dystopian when stripped down animatronics become props. There you go. Animatronics, I, I, again, can you imagine... A, a theme park, especially a, a kids-oriented theme park, without animatronics. Not really. And, you know, uh, I did substitute my number one because I, I knew you'd go there and I wanted you to have it. But I, I will give you bonus points if you can tell me the difference between animatronics and audio animatronics. And no, folks, it's not that one talks. Well, there goes my answer. I was going to say one talks. <laughs> so uh, I, there's really not a dis- – I mean, if you ask Disney, the, the company that really came up with those terms um, and a lot of those applications, they may disagree with me on this and say, well, they're all kind of the same thing. I don't know. I haven't asked them, and like I mentioned, them and a couple of other parks, PRs, didn't want to talk to me. So um, at least not yet. So um, 
Audio animatronics uh, is more of the fancy official term from when the Walt Disney Company used, I think it was Wed Engineer or Wed Enterprises or whatever it was back in the day. When they did their first animatronics, uh, Mr. Lincoln and um, the birds from Tiki Room. Wow, I'm blanking here. Um, from the Tiki Room. When they did that, it was based on a NASA system that helped separate rockets, right? You have your different stages of rockets. And so it was an audio signal that was transmitted that would then tell, all right, ready for the next stage separation and then the next stage separation. And they used that uh, electromechanical means to make these little robots move, whereas regular old animatronics these days are, are you know, electric servos and just stuff that's plugged into computing. So a little bit of a nuanced difference there, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, crickets. I, I crickets. Again, crickets. I thought you were going longer on that one. I thought you were going to go back into your <laughs> April showers spiel. No, you, you were just hoping I'd shut up. Okay, I'm going to stop with the boring um, uh, theme park trivia. I will say for my first item, I went somewhere very similar. I thought, you know, a lot of the animatronics now use projection technology, and then we see full projection mapping, like at uh, Magic Kingdom on their uh, Cinderella's Castle. And, you know, I don't know about you. I know I'm staying mainly in the Florida parks here. I'm not going outside of Florida much, even though these things will apply uh, all across the globe, including some of the bigger parks in Europe. But projection technology has to be my first because, like I mentioned, whether it's full projection mapping on a building or whether it's some of this really creative 360-degree 3D, like you walk into a theater and the entire place is a 3D theater, including the ceiling and the wall behind you. Um, we see that at SeaWorld, uh, they have an attraction called Turtle Trek. Uh, I just really think that projection technology is becoming really advanced. Um, Universal has used this in the past when they used to have their disaster ride. Christopher Walken narrated it and it used the Pepper's Ghost style, um, uh, hologram type, uh, projection that a lot of people know of, uh, as Tupac from Coachella, right? A lot of the younger generation recognize Pepper's Ghost as that, but I think projection technology is just right up there with animatronics, right up there with characters uh, in costume. I think projection technology is something that defines theme parks, whether it's SeaWorld's Turtle Trek or Epcot's uh, Colortopia, which is sponsored by Glidden Paint, or the Once Upon a Time show at the Magic Kingdom that turns Cinderella's Castle into a screen to project all sorts of you know fantastic imagery on. I agree. What we're seeing, again, it's kind of something that's been around for a while, but we're seeing it grow. Uh, we're seeing it get edited in different areas. Um, for those that have been to Hollywood Studios and their Star Wars Galaxy show in the evening, where they literally turn three buildings into giant projection screens. Or if you've been on Pirates of the Caribbean, where you know, uh, you know Davy Jones gets projected onto the waterfall. Mm, yeah. um, the projection technology has come a long way uh, and really adds just another level of immersion for those people that want to kind of get lost in the world that they're visiting when they go to theme parks. Yeah, and speaking of Pirates of the Caribbean, the Christopher Walken thing I mentioned over at Universal Studios, which I don't think is there anymore, uh, Disney did something very similar for a short time at Hollywood Studios where they had a Pirates of the Caribbean um, little show. And, I mean, it looked like Johnny Depp was walking out right in front of uh, onto the stage in character. And, uh, you know, I think the reason that it's so important to talk about robotics, which you did with animatronics or projection technology, which I'm doing here, I I think it's so important because a lot of them date back to the theme park industry. 
And a lot of those go back to movies and animation. I mean, think about projection technology. We would initially, if you say projection, your mind's probably going to go to a movie theater first. And remember that the first theme park, the first true theme park, not amusement park, not anything like that. First true theme park was Disneyland in 1955. Now, at that time, Disney and his team of engineers, Imagineers as they call them, created Circle Vision 360 that was based on, you know, what was it called? Cinerama from the early 20th century. And that idea of going in and seeing a 360-degree theater, I think that's where all of this type of technology comes from, whether it's animatronics or projection. And I think we both have something very similar for our first item. Uh, And and I I just, I think we kind of had to put that technology first, don't you? Absolutely. It's just, again, it's one of those givens of being at a theme park. Um, So now, now I'm looking at my list. And I kind of have something that ties into the projection. I'm wondering if I should talk about that first. Let's do it because I'm curious about it now. So this one, again, it's more of a a change in theme parks. And that is digital replacing film when it came to projections Mm -hmm. at theme parks. Yeah. Um, Obviously, a lot of the projections used to be the classic film projectors uh, like you would see in a movie theater. Um, but Disney has since gone and they moved towards using digital and it's allowed some new changes and some new options. Um, the, probably the most easy to point out example would be on their Star Tours ride at Hollywood Studios, where in the past when you went on the ride, you're, and for those that have not been on that ride, it's a ride where you're in a simulator and you travel through outer space in a spaceship and, and events occur. Uh, Prior, it was done with film. So the show was essentially, quote-unquote, the same every time. Yeah, every single time. Same old thing. Love it or hate it. What they've done now is now the ride is divided up into three different digital segments. And because these are digital segments being projected, not film, they're able to randomize them and mix them up. So you never know what combination. I believe they have something like... 12 and now after next year it's going to be 13 different segments and you don't know which three segments you're going to get until you're on the ride and again it's something you could not do with film you would have to literally change reels and switch reels and and you couldn't change it one ride after another after another every 10 minutes Mm -hmm. this allows you to do that so i think watching the digital technology replace the film it's also helpful in that film over time deteriorates uh, you see it get grainy. It sometimes takes away from the aesthetics of being in an attraction if you can see grain or cracks on film over time. Yeah. Obviously, digital does not have that. It does not have cracks. It does not have grain. So I just think the move, and since we're mentioning projections, the move to digital as opposed to film, which is is probably going to be complete with the exception of one or two attractions that probably will always be film. Um, I think we're going to see that. And again, it just it adds to the experience because when you're getting lost in these worlds, the last thing you want is something reminding you that, oh, by the way, it's a show. It's not real. Yeah, your topics make my mind go so many different places. And I have to say this. I'm going on a little tangent. My fa- you mentioned uh, the Star Wars motion simulator at, at Disney's Hollywood Studios. My favorite motion simulator ever used to be at Busch Gardens. It was called Questor. And it was in the area that's now the Egypt part of the park. Um, but it hasn't been open in, in years from my understanding. That was my favorite. But my favorite moment in 
any type of motion simulator, whether it's at a theme park or one of those kind of portable ones that you can get maybe at a mall or a fair or whatever, is actually in that Star Wars. You know I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, but it's the Star Wars moment where one of those randomized scenes, spoiler alert here in case you've never been on any of these rides and you want to experience it new for the first time when you're there, but one of those randomized scenes is you're trying to get away in some type of a spaceship from, I, I, I want to say you're on the Death Star, and Darth Vader's right there in front of you, and he puts his hand out and uses the Force and stops you, and you know, the, the room tilts forward, and I, I don't know why, that is my favorite scene of any motion simulator at any time, but I think you're right, with digital film, it gives us this option to be more interactive, and that sort of leads me into my second, if, if, if following me down this rabbit hole, down this path of this strange tangent makes any sense, it leads me to my second topic, Q technology. Now, I'm being generic and talking about any type of Q or any type of line, but what I've seen in theme parks, whether we're talking about the Disney parks, Universal parks, SeaWorld parks, including Busch Gardens, uh, I, I haven't been to Legoland here in Florida, and again, I'm, I'm keeping my experience relative to Florida, uh, but what I see in these parks is that the queues are evolving, and they're becoming one of two things. They're either becoming interactive or they're becoming virtual. So let me go down these two rabbit holes. If I, and first of all, if you want to see the interactive ones, just go to YouTube and type interactive Q, uh, the word Q, Q-U-E-U-E, if you don't know. If you're saying, why is he calling it Q instead of line? <laughs> People look at me funny when I call it that. I'm using the technical term. So it, it, just type interactive Q and see examples of what I mean. But when we talk about interactive cues, you can look at the Magic Kingdom, uh, Peter Pan's flight, the the ride that's been there forever since the park opened in 71 and and was present in Disneyland before they've retrofitted the queue and it's completely interactive it's almost like walking into what Microsoft should have deployed for the Microsoft Connect people are interacting moving um, interacting with shadows on the wall very Peter Pan-esque then there are other types of interactive immersion where it's not about motion capture so if you travel over to Epcot staying at the Disney parks, travel over to Epcot and go to the queue for Soren and it's second screen immersion. They ask you to get your cell phone out and, and to participate in quizzes and polls and those types of things. So, um, I mean, we can even change it up. Let me give one more example of the interactive um, side. We'll, we'll go back to Magic Kingdom. Uh, Disney seems to really be at the forefront of, of doing these interactive queues. Go back over to the Magic Kingdom, go to Tomorrowland at Space Mountain and you'll have arcade-style gaming right there in the line, com- competing against other people in the line with you, a chance to, to really bond and, and get to know people. So whether we're talking about um, interacting with physical air around you, your cell phone as a part of the experience, or other people or games, interactive cues seem to be growing. Uh, I think that's a good use of time when you're in a theme park and in line. But the second trend... And I'm trying to plow through that interactive to get to the second one, which is much more technically interesting, is a virtual queue. And we see like the FastPass system at Disney and over at Universal with their new water park, Volcano Bay, which is opening May 25th, by the way. No, nobody's paying me to say that. Um, But Volcano Bay, when you go to Volcano Bay and you pay your one day ticket or you have an annual pass, you're going to get a device that's a lot like... Disney's um, Magic Band, but you're not going to own it, right? Disney's Magic Band, they send it to you, you keep it, it's yours, it's your hotel key, it's your theme park, fast pass ticket, it's it's all of those things in one. With the uh, Volcano Bay Water Park, they're going to give you this watch called a Tapu Tapu. 
It looks like an old school like calculator watch or video game watch. It's not yours to own. You're essentially just borrowing it for the day. But it does a lot of the same things that Disney's Magic Band does. It lets you pick a time to come and, and experience a ride. And you show up at the appropriate time. You you tap your little watch against an RFID sensor and it says, okay, time for you to come in. Or it tells you, no, no, you're too early or too late or whatever the case may be. So this idea of if we're going to wait in theme park lines, let's make them as interactive as possible with technology. Or let's eliminate the line completely so that it's fully interactive and you can do whatever you want while waiting. Uh, those two things seem to be the, the trend right now in theme park technology for queues. I think it's so important because, again, the biggest the biggest complaints you'll ever hear about a theme park is waiting. Mm. That's always the thing people will complain about. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Everything else can be fantastic. People are always upset about waiting. So anything you can do that can make that part of the experience not a wait, but rather part of the experience is a plus. And I think it's amazing to see how They've come up with these different ways, again, using technology to make what should have been or what used to be dull, boring, you know, kind of staring at the wall time into something that in some cases is almost as enjoyable as the ride itself. You know, and I think business people look at these technologies and go, well, that's great, but it's, you know, it's a theme park. I can't deploy that. I can't use that technology. I'm not going to have people queued up in line waiting for stuff. But if you think about your customer service operations, that's exactly what people are doing. They're sitting on a phone waiting for the next available operator. Well, what do we see? We have phone systems that you're essentially scheduling a call with the next available operator. You don't have to wait in line. I think this transcends theme parks and it becomes something that we need to watch as business people. And, and you're absolutely right. Why wait when you can turn waiting into part of the experience? So next up on my list, I'm going old school, going super old school with this one. But despite it being super old school, is still a huge part of so many attractions at theme parks. It is probably, uh, excuse me, probably the biggest bit of magic when it comes to creating a new environment at theme parks, and that is the old school black light. Oh, yeah. Wow. Lots of those at theme parks. For those that don't know what a black light is, obviously uh, it doesn't look black. It looks dark purple. But what it does is it emits... uh, Basically, light in the ultraviolet range of the spectrum, which is mm-hmm. invisible to our eye, but underneath a UV light, uh, any object containing phosphors are going to glow. So white, uh, closed, fluorescent-colored items will emit a bright glow when a black light is put on them. Whenever you go on a ride and the room is dark, but then these colors on the animatronics or the walls or whatever pop out at you, that's blacklight in full effect. It's just so awesome how theme parks use blacklight to create environments. Again, if you put on regular white light in, we'll use Peter Pan's Flight, for example, which you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, everything looks kind of, it looks like a bunch of statues. It, it, it doesn't pop. It's not eye-catching. Now, put it on black light instead and those colors jump and it's vibrant and it stands out and plus everything else in the room stays in constant darkness Mm -hmm. so you're not noticing the wall you're not noticing the floor right you're not noticing the track that maybe your cart or your ride is on you're not noticing any of these little things you're not noticing the little walkways 
that maybe they use when they're refurbishing things. You don't notice any of that. Ladders, none of those things really can stand out to you because they're in constant darkness, but yet the things they want you to see pop right out at you. I can't imagine Disney World or any theme park being what it is, the experience it is, without blacklight. It, it, would, it would not be the same experience. So probably uh, right up there with the animatronics as far as being a technology so very important to creating the environment in theme parks. I love this choice because technology doesn't have to be new and cutting edge all of the time. It can be something as simple as a blacklight. And I mentioned before that you know, Disney being the first theme park based on animation. But why did that come to be? And if we look back and we see that Walt Disney himself, the man, he was, uh, I'm going to use a charged word. If you ask Disney historians on this, they may not like it. But he was jealous of the fact that the other studios could have studio tours. He was jealous of the fact that they had the room to do that and they had movie props to see. And it wasn't just, I mean, stuff we love to look at today. But at the time, it, it, people didn't want to look at someone drawing on a, on a cell. And so this idea of how do we take the movie experience for animation and get the same type of surrealism you get in the movie theater and the same type of suspension of disbelief, something as simple as the use of a blacklight to create those vivid colors and to make everything else blur out into the background in a dark background. I mean, such a simple technology is so important. I, I, I absolutely want to compliment you on this choice, something I never would have thought of. And, and it reminds us that Every single thing we do in our businesses, whether it's the people who who pick on you because they say, oh, you're constantly trying to find out where this picture should be in your in your application or where it should be here for UI and UX purposes, or whether it's somebody in a physical retail store that's, you know, people say, all right, quit messing with the lighting, quit messing with the paint on the walls, quit messing with this, just let it be. No, don't ever let it be. How can you do the same type of thing that theme parks have done in your business to make somebody you know, buy a bigger diamond if you're in uh, the jewelry business or or come back to your location more if you're a restaurant. I think it's such a beautiful technology to pick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that. Uh, listen, it never catches me off guard when you come up with great topics, but that one is, is something that we can apply in every single industry. I'm not going to be that deep and that um, philosophical and that, you know, tried and true with mine i'm just going to point out that for my third item um going with radio frequencies whether it's true rfid or whether it's infrared or you mentioned ultraviolet before so i'm kind of going to the other end of the spectrum here but we have rfid used in disney's magic band which i mentioned before which is that essentially instead of a card or a ticket or a pass you get this magic band that you wear on your wrist or wear in a little clip-on lanyard and it's it's your as they call it, your key to the key to the kingdom is what they say, I guess. Universal coming out with their similar Tapu Tapu uh, at Volcano Bay Water Park uh, was mentioned before as well. But we also see RFID and similar technologies in the merchandise and trying to get people to buy more merchandise and still get interactivity. How do you get people to buy more? And how do you get people to engage more and want to come back for something like a fireworks show? Well, f- first of all, Fireworks, all these theme parks do it. It's, it's great. Everybody loves fireworks. But how can you create a more uh, a more immersed sense of control, a more uh, uh, a sense of ownership instead of just saying, oh, here's a company putting on a bunch of fireworks for me. And what these companies have done uh, is, is absolutely genius. Whether it's a Harry Potter wand 
at Universal Studios so that you can control parts of the environment and the land that you're in and, and the Harry Potter parts of the park or whether it's the made with magic type of Mickey Mouse ears and hands and wands that Disney does to interact with projection shows and firework shows and, and other things like that. The use of RFID, whether it's for your pass, for part of the show, for in engaging and interacting, has been absolutely phenomenal in the theme park industry over the past several years. Um, we, we all know, we've heard Disney's investment when they when they built the Magic Band, it was over a billion dollar investment, including all of the infrastructure back end of the IT services that had to go into it to connect the website and the mobile applications and make it all work together. One billion dollars. I, I, I mean, I remember uh, I had a student who worked for Disney while they were doing the R&D for that. And he did a student project of what he could tell me about it. You know, it was a little bit vague. And he mentioned that the company was putting a billion dollars into something. And I didn't know the company was putting a billion dollars into something and um, that they were going to tout that fact, that they were actually going to market it. And I kind of had to call him out temporarily. And he ended up telling me who he worked for because I said, there are only a certain number of companies that are going to invest a billion dollars in RFID. Now, if you tell me you work for UPS, if you tell me you work for FedEx, I'll believe you. But otherwise, I don't really know that you're being honest with me and yourself with this assignment. Did you make this up? And he says, no, I, I work with Disney and we're looking at how do we how do we move people around? And he goes, what I can tell you is X, Y, and Z. And so to see it coming, to see that implementation of logistics, the stuff we do in logistics every single day, and applying that to people, I, that's that's just mind-boggling there, that here entertainment companies are taking warehouse technologies, turning them into to ride motion systems. They're taking our logistics technology and turning them into people management and reservation management. And that's such an inspiration that not only can we pull technologies from theme parks, but they pull technologies from the rest of us as well. And RFID uh, and infrared and other radio frequencies is a great example of that. Absolutely. Really good one. I'm tempted to go. I'm going to go. See, I feel like some of our topics are crisscrossing a little bit here. Um, so I'm going to go with a, a quick one, and and then we'll go to my other one at the end of my list. I'm going to go with motion detectors. Mm. Um, the, the, again, going with a more simplistic technology, but there was a time when in theme parks, essentially everything went off on timers. And if you waited long enough, you would see the same things kind of happen again and again. I'm mostly thinking in terms of things like fun houses and haunted houses and things like that, where things popped up at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And again, if you waited long enough, you'd see it pop up and you would know, okay, it's going to pop up again. The the, The advantage of using motion detectors instead of timers on items was it would only pop up. It would only jump out. It would only change when you moved past it, when you moved up to it. So instead of you seeing kind of, you know, 20 feet down the hall, oh, I know what's going to happen, you didn't know what would happen until you were standing right in front of and you tripped the motion detectors. And obviously motion detectors could be used for uh, triggers for physical items, for audio items, for video items. Um, again, especially in terms of things like fun houses, haunted houses, things where – you're not put into a cart or some sort of vehicle where you're free to walk at your own speed. Things like motion detectors added so much to the experience because if you were kind of rushing through things, it was there on time. And if you walked slowly, 
it didn't trigger until you were in the right spot. So again, motion detectors, something that's used in a variety of ways, and again, allows for a greater immersion into the experience at the theme park and being able to enjoy it as it should happen, not because, oh, well, it's going to go off again in one minute. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a big one that I, I, I love that you put it on there. And, and, and you're right, it does seem like we've been crisscrossing. And that was a suggestion that was given uh, to me uh, that I didn't go with by someone who's um, sort of an inside source for me. And, and this person, um, I, I'm not going to say who it is because I didn't ask permission to do that, basically sent me a message that said, you know, the, the buses that travel between parks and hotels and resorts, uh, and this is for all of the companies, they use route-based GPS that activate, and I'm reading the message directly from this person, use route-based GPS to activate video packages and themed music. Uh, so we've gone beyond motion detectors, but we have a whole host of technologies, whether it's RFID and understanding that a particular guest is in the area and uh, that it's their birthday today and yada, 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 or whether you're just taking a bus from a park to uh, back to your hotel and, you know, they, they know you're getting close, so they're going to play some themed music that connects with your hotel. Or you're getting close to another park, and they're going to play some video package to try to entice you to go there. It definitely does help the immersion in the theme parks themselves, in the restaurants, in the hotels, everywhere that that, that theme parks tend to, to spill out into. It helps if you know, hey, you know, this particular scene, it's going to happen for me. And it can even contain elements that it knows I'm interested in, like taking a recommendation engine like we see on Amazon and applying it into theme parks. And you feel more connected to the experience. You feel like the storytelling is aimed at you. And I think the use of those technologies is, is I'll just keep complimenting you. Yet another example of, of the great picks you're, you're, um, you're coming up with in this field. Just absolutely blowing my mind the type of work that theme parks are doing in the storytelling um, part of their business. So what's up next on your list? Something not as exciting. <laughs> well, no, depending on who you ask. Um, I, I'm going to say virtual reality here for my fourth. And I think people sort of roll their eyes when you say virtual reality in theme parks. They don't roll your eye, their eyes when you talk about video games or even some of the productivity that we're starting to expect as virtual reality rolls out as a consumer device. But I'm defining virtual reality here as any time a screen is shoved directly in front of your face whether you're wearing goggles or a mask or not. And I want to give a couple of examples um, because you can get virtual reality experiences in some of the parks. Um, Disney's closing their Disney Quest property later this summer. But if you've ever been there, anyone's ever been there, they have the Aladdin's Magic Carpet Ride and it's old school VR. You put the headset on, it's tethered, it's connected up to the ceiling and you feel like you're flying around on the magic carpet. Uh, but then there are other types of of virtual reality and there's the old I say old but it's it's new again what's old is new again the goggles style uh, Universal used uh, VR in the goggle style for the first time last year with Halloween Horror Nights they had a scare house called the repository where they used full VR I, I actually think I didn't experience that I think it was mixed reality but I'm, I'm going to call it full VR Mission Space at Epcot you're in a ride vehicle and you your face gets essentially put straight up to a screen that's why so many people get sick on that ride uh the motion combined with that screen uh but uh disney's newest um 
let's see. I mentioned here. I mentioned something for Universal opening. Let me plug Disney the same way since none of them are paying me for this. Avatar Flight of Passage at Animal Kingdom is opening on May 27th. And it looks to be the same type of ride system that Mission Space is um, doing just individualized. So your, your face is right up in a screen and you feel like you're riding one of these characters from the Avatar movie. Um, I forget what they're called, but that's that's neither here nor there right now. So I do think virtual reality is surprisingly starting to make a little bit of a return into theme parks, even though we would expect it to disappear as VR becomes a consumer technology now. It's funny you did virtual reality because my last item on my list was talking about augmented reality. <laughs> Great. And, and again, it's just all of these different ways to – Again, make things more interactive. And Disney's experimented with a couple of different things. But just this year, uh, Disney has now filed a patent for a responsive theme park system Hmm. that, believe it or not, they kind of, and I'm going to explain this, it would actually read and interpret a person's emotional state and then optimize the ride to that. Oh, I Uh, love that. Normally, you only see that. Sorry, normally you only see that research in music right now of trying to deliver music to people. But that's wonderful that we could do it for rides or movies or something else. And if you want to look up the patent, the patent's called "Sensing and Managing Vehicle Behavior Based on Occupant Awareness." Um, (laughs) Beautiful. Did they ask Microsoft to name that for them? Probably. It's it's a mouthful. Um, But the idea is that the ride would actually read people's facial expressions, or in some cases, it would take into account their known interest to adapt and customize the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, for the facial expressions, it would be done using sensing and recording technologies with cameras on a ride. But for their known interest, it could be because of the wearable tech, as you mentioned earlier, with the magic bands. So for those that have ever been on uh, Spaceship Earth on Epcot, at the end, they ask you to answer some questions and then they customize a video for you. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if they were able to customize parts of a ride, but you don't have to answer any questions. They would get the information from your magic band or just from the expression on your face. So if you're on the ride and you're smiling and happy and giddy, it would go one way. And if you were bored on a ride or for those that have children, you have somebody giving you a hard time, you get the stern look on your face or the kid's crying. You mm-hmm. might get a different experience. So, again, this is something obviously tip of the iceberg technology here. We'll see where this goes. But, again, it's that whole idea of customizing your experience, making it something unique to you that they're able to do through augmented reality. Yeah, I love that you mentioned Spaceship Earth in there because so much technology in Spaceship Earth, um, everything from the cantilevered construction that was used in the early 1980s to build it, but in modern times with the ride, um, the video screen, so creating a second screen um, situation like you talked about with you answer some questions and the video is customized for you, um, it was a great test bed for facial recognition at the Disney World properties uh, and for all of the Disney company. They take your picture and they they carve out your head and they put it in carve out your they put it in the video for you and then you see your face later uh, in the post show uh, instead of going through a a gift shop which finally it's a nice relief to not have to go through a gift shop which really it doesn't happen quite as much anymore I've noticed at theme parks um, but you go through a post show area that's interactive um, I, I just I, I I agree with you 100 percent here augmented reality 
ties in with virtual reality and mixed reality, and, and it's surprisingly in the parks a lot. So that finishes off my list. What do you have left on your list? I have a, my last thing you're going to tell me is a cop-out, and I don't mean it to be a cop-out at all. I think the best technology that theme parks are using is the same best technology that movies, uh, comic books, regular books, and then almost any other type of entertainment utilizes. And I think the best technology, that and this is, bear with me, this is not a cop-out, I'll explain. The best technology that any of these theme parks are using is imagination. Cop out. <laughs> um, now, well, let me explain first. You you simply can't overpower the drive of a five-year-old to be a superhero or a princess or a pirate or best friends with Shamu. You, you can't do it. You can't overpower that imagination. And so through very, very clever, clear, dedicated, thorough research... These companies, these theme park operators, have become marketing experts. They know what way, it's just like retailers, know what way you're likely to turn in a retail store, what your search pattern is likely to be finding something, just like online advertisers know how you're likely to traverse the web to do the same thing. These companies know, these theme parks know, what rides you're likely to ride on what day, how you're going to interact with something, what you're going to want to eat on a particular day. Now, maybe not, it may not be granular and down to you as a specific individual at this moment, but it's going that way. And if we take the concept of a theme park in general to inspire people, to let people live inside of their fantasies, inside of the movies, inside of every book that they've ever wanted to be a part of, the idea of doing that translates very well into teaching moments for how do we make a world better. If you think about this five-year-old wanting to be a superhero, well, that superhero kid is going to use all of the you know little... Gadgets that come on the utility belt like Batman back in the 1960s. The imagination of what's possible and what's next, I think these companies are using an excellent job of the marketing practices that they've learned over time, implementing that to make us not only want to come back and spend more money with them, because that's that's their benefit, but it also helps inspire us, uh, us to go out and do podcasts like this or to do tech shows and to build tech products and to build websites. And how many websites, I kid you not, look at the research on this, how many websites have used theme parks as their research basis for layout and organization? In the 90s and early 2000s, that was like the number one case study for how to lay out a website, trying to map it to a, ver- uh, a real-world experience like a theme park or a shopping mall. So again, I really do, no cop-out, I believe that the best technology that these companies that manage theme parks are using, that because they're actively tapping into it and utilizing it, is our own imagination. So I, I don't mean it as a cop-out. I mean they're very good at marketing. They're very good at psychographics. They're very good at psychology. And they use our own brains as a tech tool for them. Well, and of course, without imagination, none of this technology would be here in the first place. Absolutely. Oh, now I want to go ride some rides. I do too, so let's wrap this thing up. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christopher. And we'll be back. Um, I, I don't know. We need to do another top five sometime. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time. 
Take care.